Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Well, some years ago, I think it was about seven years exactly, um, there was a man by the name of Dylan Roof. And he walked into the doors of Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, one of the most historic and oldest African-American churches in North America. It was a Wednesday night Bible study, and he was not there to grow alongside other church members. He was a young white man. He had come to this historic African-American church with a gun. And on that night, he shot and he killed nine African-Americans, including the senior pastor in an act of racial violence. You can see the victims here on the screen. These are the nine who were killed, I believe. No, there's nothing there. Just kidding. Uh, The nine members of this church that were killed that day ranged in age from young to old, many of them older saints who had been following Jesus for years and years um, Roof, he, he, he stood before the court and addressed these victims as he pled not guilty. Um, and one by one, the victims' families were allowed to stand in front of him. And they offered what to us seems absolutely impossible, and that is forgiveness. Nadine Collier, who, was, who had her 70-year-old mother murdered that day, spoke to roof in the eyes through tears and says, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never ever hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Now, forgiveness like that, that feels to me unthinkable. I mean, the family of those victims, they had nothing by earthly standards in this moment to gain from this kind of public declaration. And yet they wielded this power that could only be described as as supernatural. In the next phrase that we look at in the Lord's Prayer together, if you haven't been with us, we're walking through the Lord's Prayer and learning how to pray as Jesus taught us. First, we begin with our Father in heaven, and hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And today we learn... Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Forgive us, God, as we forgive. And I want to be honest, as central as forgiveness is to the framework of our faith, as we stepped into this idea, I was more nervous about talking about forgiveness than just about anything else. Because in our world, forgiveness at times can be construed as weakness, Because of polarization, uh, it so shapes our imagination as a culture. The idea of ceding any ground to those who stood against us or have have tried to punish us, that feels like weakness. And and our world, a lot of times, sees this forgiveness that we want to offer as a barrier to justice and not the fruit of justice. For the most part, we understand these wrongs as the opportunity for retribution, for punishment. We love to punish people in this world, don't we? We have a retributive, punishing culture. People need to pay the price 
for what they do over and over and over again. Back in 2020, New York Times columnist Elizabeth Brunner, she tweeted out something, this profound statement. She ended up deleting it because she got so much pushback, but I think it's pretty profound. She says, there's just something unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness. In other words, we demand blood We demand great debts be always paid. We demand that sin be punished, and yet we hold forgiveness at an arm's length. And maybe that feels like to you, maybe that feels like to you that's too heavy a weight as well. So the start place for us today is asking really, what is forgiveness for? Because think about it, if someone stole something from you, You can receive that thing back in full. A wrong could be fully made right, and yet it does not require you to forgive, does it? Forgiveness has an aim that is above and beyond just a transactional mechanism of making things right. Forgiveness is about relationship. There's no other reason to seek out or pursue forgiveness other than relationship. Forgiveness opens the door for relationships to be restored. And beyond this disembodied transaction that settles the ledger between you and I, when we're in these relationships, forgiveness is concerned with how you and I actually relate to one another, how we see one another. And this is very often the problem that we have in our view with God as well is that we, re- we reduce the idea of forgiveness to this sort of divine, transactional, disembodied mechanism that rights a wrong in such a way that God's primary concern is just fixing sin. That's it. But that's not the heart of what God is actually seeking when we seek out forgiveness, when he offers us forgiveness. It's forgiveness is about relationship. God intended forgiveness then to restore us back to himself. God forgives us because God wants to be with us. It's not just a theological mechanism to deal with the bad parts that are in us. Forgiveness is because God wants longingly to be with his sons and daughters, wants longingly for them to come home. A story that brings us into focus is something we looked at a few weeks back as well. The story of the prodigal sons, Luke 15. We're gonna start in verse 11. Look at this story again with me. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, on the surface, for a 21st century person like us, this request by the son is rightly jolting, but it's not necessarily offensive. He's living his best life. He's doing himself. He's doing you do you. That's the life he is living at this point. But to a first century audience, there was likely, as Jesus offered these words, a gasp of horror. Because inheritance is what came when your father died. So the son is saying... You're just as good as dead to me. I don't need you anymore. I just want your stuff. I don't want you. And for a deeply familial culture, this was an offense we cannot comprehend. 
And for the father, the actions of the son, this would have brought incredible shame upon his family and upon himself. Not only would he bear this substantial cost financially, but relationally and socially, he would be suffering as well. The story goes on to tell us that the son, finally, as we know, he comes to his senses after he came to the end of his rope. I love the message translation of the first beatitude that says, Blessed are you when you come to the end of your rope. The son comes to his senses. He wallowed in his shame. And he decides with this plan, I'm going to go back. The plan is, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to beg to be one of my father's servants and just hope that the father would allow him a better existence and then also kind of live within the consequences of his actions. And therefore, he could be on his own, essentially paying off the debt for the rest of his life. Now, if forgiveness is just this transactionary mechanism that rights a wrong and nothing else, the father would have likely gone along with this plan because his wayward son would live with the consequences of his actions. He would labor to pay back all that was lost by his sin. He would lose the privilege of his sonship. And you know what that is, my friends? That is fair. That moves us closer to balancing the ledger, doesn't it? That moves us closer to righting the wrong. And yet instead the father's response, as we know, as we probably heard, has an entirely different outcome. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine, not this servant, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What do we see is this overwhelming desire in the story For the father, what he wants more than anything is not a right to be wrong, but what the father wants is relationship. What the father wants is his son. He longs to see him restored back to God, restored back to wholeness with himself. And you might ask at this point, what about the debt? You see, that was a lot of money that he squandered. What about the cost of his son's disobedience? Is the father minimizing the sins of the son through his extravagant forgiveness? I have heard that many times in churchy circles. Are you minimizing sin with grace? Not at all. The father did not ignore the cost. What we don't see in the story that's behind the scenes is the father bore that cost. The father canceled that debt He paid for it. You see, if my son throws a ball and breaks a window, guess what? I can forgive my son. I still got to pay for that window. That is a likely story as well. Forgiveness can be present in fullness, but someone's got to bear the cost. And what we see in this story is that the cost did not go away. The father 
bore the cost of his son's transgressions. The father canceled the debt that his son owed. Oh, by, 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 by forgiving his son, the father, he does not negate or minimize the cost of his sin. No, in the father's abundance, he himself absorbs that cost so that the debt can be no more. Which means we got to talk about the cross, don't we? Because the debt of our sin is one that you and I, we could never repay. We could never come close to repaying. But Jesus, in the cross, took upon himself the debt of our sin. He took upon the wages of sin that the scripture says is death, and he alone paid it. On the cross, what we see is that the cost of sin is not minimized. No, we see the fullness of the cost in that God himself was willingly bearing that cost for us at the cost of his own son. And because of that, the debt that we owed was paid, and we do not owe that debt any longer, do we? The debt is canceled. Jesus' final words on the cross were, it is finished in the Greek. That is one word, tetelestai. It means paid in full. Paid in full. If that don't give you some Jesus fuzzies up in here, I don't know what will. Culture. I mean, that is truth. That is good news. Meaning, I no longer carry that debt. And listen, I'm going to go about the rest of my life and probably going to sin. Yeah. Thank you for saying a little bit. There's others in this room that would probably say more. But the debt Jesus has paid. And so when I offer this prayer, forgive us, as you, as we forgive others. I do that not because the debt hasn't been paid. I do that because I remember every time I pray those words, I'm no longer under that burden. And I can pray that freely and wholly because once and for all, the scriptures say, God has forgiven us in Jesus because God longs to welcome us home. The cross is proof day in and day out that God's arms are open wide to receive us. And friends, hear me. God does not forgive us begrudgingly. God forgives us joyfully. I get so tired of presentations of the gospel that look like God is barely, barely putting up with us and that forgiveness is that last last wall to keep him from just absolutely seethingly burning us to a crisp. No, God longs, wants to forgive us. Jesus did not die to save us from a God who barely puts up with us. Jesus died to reveal the God who had always been this forgiving. Jesus died to reveal the God who had always longed to bring us home. We don't see the cross as God's last chance of getting us back. We see the cross as his full and final picture of this is who I have always been for you. If you will receive it, that is how God forgives us. And when that news seeps down into us, when that news moves from head to heart to body, that's when forgiveness for others begins to become possible. When you feel that humility, 
When you feel the humility of knowing the great debt that has been paid for you and yet simultaneously the freedom knowing that you have been given that debt, freedom from that debt, and forgiving others becomes possible. And I want you to know today as we talk about the horizontal aspects of forgiveness that I do not want to minimize the weight of what that can mean for many of us. I do not want to talk about forgiving others as if that's something that should just come naturally with five easy steps. Because I think we all know at this point it does not. I know in this room there are stories, relationships, pains, traumas, wounds that we carry. And a lot of times a person in my position standing in a place like this can minimize those things and spiritualize those things away. And I'm sorry if that's happened to you before because I know the weight of forgiveness. I don't want to minimize or trivialize those things. I know there are stories represented in the room today. I know these stories. You have borne a heavy cost at the hands of someone else. And so as we close today, I want to clarify what forgiveness looks like on the other side. First, forgiveness does not minimize or ignore the cost. In many ways, in naming what we've lost in forgiveness, that's where it actually begins. C.S. Lewis speaks of this as the difference between forgiving and excusing. Excusing explains the offense away, sweeps it under the rug. You might be well familiar with the phrase, forgive and forget. Well, what we see in the scriptures is not a picture of forgive and forget. Forgetting actually stands in the way of forgiveness. I love the words of, of South African leader Desmond Tutu, who, of anyone who can give us a picture of forgiveness as we look at the apartheid and story. He writes in, in No Future Without Forgiveness, forgiving is not forgetting. It's actually remembering. Remembering and not using your right to hit back. It's a second chance for a new beginning, and the remembering part is particularly important, especially if you don't want to repeat what happened. Why do we remember? We remember so that we can create a different kind of future through and in forgiveness that makes possible. Secondly, forgiveness makes reconciliation possible but not inevitable. This is important, my friends, because we can forgive and release others from the debt that they owe and see reconciliation in this life. And let me say, I don't want to negate that. I want you to know I have seen miracles of forgiveness and reconciliation in relationships. I have seen God bring together people who I never thought would be reconciled. Again, God can do it. It is in healing, supernatural healing. It can take place. But sometimes, sometimes in spite of the work that God does in us, in spite of the real work inside us that releases us as we forgive, sometimes that doesn't necessarily lead to the re reconciliation we want. And this is why we need to remember Paul's words in Romans 12, 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on who? You. So have I done everything I can to bring about the reconciliation through forgiveness that I can? If the other person has not got there yet, guess what? Have I done everything I can do? 
Have I lived, done everything I can to bring about that peace? And if so, I can be satisfied in the freedom God has given me and forgiving that person even when they are not there or ready to receive that yet. Because the work that God has done in me is worth it to forgive. Have I done everything in my power? You know what? You can't change people. You can only do the work that allows God to change you. Finally, here, you cannot bear the cost of forgiveness on your own. And that is good news. That is good news. What we've talked about today in forgiveness is that we, we no longer hold this debt against those who've sinned against us. Not because we've ignored the cost, but because we see how great the cost of how we have been forgiven. We choose to do the same as friends. This is why the cross isn't just a symbol for us. It's not just a past event. It is a present hope. It is a present picture of the life we're called to in these places of forgiveness. And you need to know that you cannot bear that cost. And the good news is that that cost has already been borne for you. And so when I am sinned against, when I am carrying these places of unforgiveness, I'm taking those to Jesus and saying, Lord, I can't bear this. I do not have the abundance you have in order to bring about the forgiveness that I need. I can't bear this cost, but you already have. And so daily, remembering the cost of his son, remembering the forgiveness I have received, remembering that he has the abundance to pay the debt that I cannot pay to forgive as I cannot. I can go to the cross and bring these things because he bears those things in himself. That's why we need to be reminded there is one who paid my debt so that forgiveness and reconciliation could be central to who I am and who we are as the people of God. As we pray, forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, we are reminded of our sin. It seems weird to pray regularly, even daily, to be reminded of our sin because we think being reminded of our sin means we're reminded of shame, but God has given us a different story. Being reminded of our sin is not a picture of our shame. It is a picture of our freedom. So I can pray, Lord, forgive us our debts. And remembering that I have so much that has been given to me. So, Lord, what will I do with the forgiveness you've been given? You've given me in these places. So I want to close the day in bringing our stories bringing our struggles to the cross. I, I don't know where you are in, in particular places in your journey. I know some of your stories. I know some of the places that you're walking with and wrestling through. But I want to ask a couple of questions and just reflect here together. First, how, how aware am I of God's forgiveness for me? Close your eyes. Just bow your head and close your eyes today. So ask that question, how aware am I of God's forgiveness for me? Not forgiveness as a theological concept. Not forgiveness as something you read about in a textbook. But 
God's forgiveness for you. Spoken over you. Has that hope seep down into your soul? Do you need to be reminded today once again that you are fully and finally forgiven? Secondly, what unforgiveness do I need to bring to the cross? What hurt or pain am I holding on to? What relational baggage is weighing me down that I need to bring afresh and new to the cross of Jesus today? Maybe for the first time. I said, God, I cannot bear this cost, but you can. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Thank you for the freedom we have today. For the forgiveness we have today.